Welcome to The Bright-Eyed, a podcast dedicated toward empowering teens to make a difference. Each week, I interview inspiring teens from all over the world to help share their story and talk about important global issues. Tune in to start your week feeling a little more inspired and empowered to make a change. We are more than capable of changing our world for the better. Let's see who's rising to the occasion. I'm your host, Daisy No, and this is The Bright-Eyed. Hello there, and welcome to The Bright-Eyed. So today, my ca- my guest is Stacy Zhang. She's a 16-year-old activist in the greater Toronto area. She currently attends Unionville High School for its intensive arts program for piano and intends to pursue business and law in the future. Stacy is passionate about expression through creative arts from music, fashion to makeup, and in her free time, she can be found leading their organization, Justice for Society, or working on their activism project, at for advocacy on Instagram. Welcome to the show, Stacy. It's so good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Yes, and I I mentioned this before when we first met, but I am a huge fan of Justice for Society, which is why I decided to reach out. So I'm really thrilled to be able to talk to you today. Um, And the first thing I wanted to dive into was a topic that you are very passionate about, which is performative activism. So for people who don't maybe know as much about this issue, um, could you talk to us about what performance activism is and how it can be harmful? Yeah, definitely. So performative activism is a term that refers to activism that is done um, to increase one's social capital rather than, you know, their actual devotion to the cause. So um, it's actually often associated with surface level activism, which is referred to as slacktivism. So slacktivism is more of like the practice of supporting a political or social cause by the means of like social media or online petitions. And they're typically characterized to have like very little effort or commitment and that their action may have like little effect other than to make like the person themselves feel more satisfied that they've contributed. So, you know, performative activism mainly takes place online. And, you know, by all means, I feel like there is definitely a space for online activism, especially for those who may not be able to access other ways of supporting movements, such as donations or um, attending protests. But, you know, they do create harm with the main issue being that they don't actively address the social issue at hand, which prevents or, you know, prevents progress for a solution to be um, reached. So I guess like within my personal research, um, I found that there are a lot of factors that can allow one's activism to be performative. So it's really important to, you know, code ourselves accountable. So a main one I see a lot on social media, especially, is when um, social movements are treated as trends. So um, this happens when, you know, certain issues are prominent within, like, the mainstream media. And people often, like, cherry pick these social movements to advocate for them to um, almost based off of the attention they receive, just so that they, you know, feel that their public image or social image is, you know, up to date. And I feel like another thing I notice a lot is people often repost um, various, I guess, like social media posts talking about these um, movements. And while, you know, it's amazing that, you know, they're raising awareness, I feel like that um, I myself too are kind of guilty to this. We often feel that, you know, our social responsibility is fulfilled through, you know, these simple actions taking on social media. And it doesn't really extend to further research or signing petitions, attending protests, et cetera. And I guess this also kind of leads to receiving information only uh, from social media posts. So, you know, oftentimes no further research, again, like is conducted after viewing these like 
super summarized, condensed uh, source of information. So this leads to their knowledge being really, I guess, like surface level and also biased. So, you know, there there's this feeling that, you know, our social knowledge is complete just by knowing a couple of facts about these issues. But, you know, there isn't really actual that much research or critical thinking done within, you know, the actual root and causes of these problems. And I guess to kind of end off, I guess an example that is kind of personal to me is that, you know, people around me often, you know, are sure that if they're affected by, if someone else is affected by a social issues such as um, racism or like sexism, et cetera, um, you know, they'll be there for them or that, you know, they're there to support them. But, you know, their action is often just limited to their words and the stuff they post on social media. And I feel like that's a lot of... Um, that's a big issue when it comes to performative activism is because, you know, it's, it takes real action to, you know, actually find a resolution or solution to these problems. And it's really, um, it's really harmful when statements are made and their actions are limited to um, the statements that they make. And yeah, and to end off, um, I feel like a lot of the times people often also shame people who don't post these things on social media. And when the whole BLM movement was starting, um, I was personally doing a lot of research like behind the scenes. And I got like a lot of people reaching out to me. It's like, hey, Stacey, why aren't you, you know, adv uh, actively like advocating or on social media and et cetera, because, you know, it was all very much performative and I didn't really want to, you know, involve myself and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, you know, performative activism is truly like really inedible for everyone and there are so many issues that you know are taking place at once so it's really important that you know all the information you consume is uh it doesn't overwhelm yourself and it, again it's really important to hold ourselves accountable and also others around us accountable to make sure that the work we do isn't uh towards performative activism Yes, I, I agree. Uh, thank, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think I, I learned a lot more about performative, uh, performative activism. And as someone who's also kind of on social media, I think that's something that I've also noticed as well. And I'm sure listeners have seen. And maybe it's during quarantine, you were talking about how, you know, it kind of uh, people are conducting performative activism for the sake of their own kind of like social appearance and kind of outward look on themselves. And I think maybe the fact that we're in quarantine and that's kind of the only way people are perceiving us um, might have heightened that a little bit. So thank you so much for um, sharing all of that. And I think an interesting aspect of performative activism that you uh, talked about in your guest information form before I interviewed you was the use of uh, performative activism from corporations and how they kind of use it as more of a business move. So why is this a serious issue and how have they contributed to kind of the negative effects? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess like the root or the cause of um, corporations for um, participating in performed activism is that they really want to profit off of, you know, these social issues while preserving a good social image for the sake of their consumers. So I guess like to be like an activist today, it's it's become really more about, you know, saying and less about the action. And this creates, you know, a society that is really full of, you know, false premises. You know, people believe that, you know, I guess like posting the infamous black square can really make a difference or that, you know, 
uh, there's this ad about like Kendall Jenner holding like a can of Pepsi that really was supposed to be about ending police brutality and just stuff like that. And I feel like corporations and especially brands are kind of held to that same uh, standard and it is really harmful. So, you know, many brands after the um, Beyond movement, they were uh, made, they made these like statements about racial equality, but, you know, they're also being accused of performative activism. And it's mainly because uh I guess there was this whole movement on TikTok as well, where it was talking about, you know, telling CEOs or like influencers to hashtag open your purse. It's because um, these corporations are really just making mere statements rather than, you know, actually using their power and wealth to support these movements and make a difference. And I guess as an example, you know, Amazon, they've released a lot of statements about racial equality in light of the BLM movement. Um, but, you know, they also have this uh, facial recognition software that has been sold to police departments all over the U.S. Uh, it has like a lot of glaring inaccuracies in terms of like identifying people of color. And it really encourages, you know, um, social li liberties to become really racially biased. And, um, you know, it, it's already very prominent within the police system within the U.S. especially. So I feel like, um, yeah, this corporation essentially they... Um, they only took action to, you know, pause this, the use of this technology after like years of civil rights uh, and research organizations protests. And, you know, while this is a step in the right direction, I feel like these corporations in like all together, they have so much power. And, you know, one simple step that they take can really devastate communities of color. And I, I think that you know, Amazon also has these um, products that, you know, fulfill like white supremacist slogans. And they also have, in contrast, they also have, you know, horrible working conditions for, um, you know, its employees who are, you know, 80% black. And, you know, uh, like Jeff Bezos himself, he has really like struggled to even address the fact that, you know, he hasn't been able to, you know, open his purse to, um, I guess, like resolve some of these issues when he has all the power in his hands. And, you know, like Amazon is not only the um, the only company who, you know, really uh, participates in this kind of, I guess, like contradiction, contradictory uh, statements, uh, you know, like I think within 2020, there were around like 500 biggest American companies and only four of them had black CEOs and like racism within all these companies and also like big banks, especially they, you know, it's really prominent throughout all of its customers and also employees. And, you know, I feel like it's really unrealistic to expect companies to single-handedly, you know, unravel like these complex social issues. But, you know, I feel like it shouldn't deter them from playing a part within them. So, you know, I, I while I believe that, you know, every large corporation and organization does have a responsibility, social responsibility, and they should exercise it. I also feel like there's a larger part of the um, company's activism that don't need to necessarily be shared, for example, like on social media. And I guess like as an example of this, uh, within Pride Month, you can see like, you know, all of these uh, companies having like rainbow logos, but like on July 1st, all of it was gone. And I feel like instead they should really be starting at the core of the issue and, you know, working it, um, working it from top to down and really addressing the lack of diversity within their manager roles or working down to, you know, pay disparities within racial groups. And, you know, there needs to be also unconscious bias training to create a safer and just more accommodating space for people of color and uh, create fair, fair hiring practices. And I feel like companies as a whole, they need to really critis uh, critically ask, uh, 
assess the impact that they have on the BIPOC and POC communities and, you know, consciously redress these damages. And I feel like this is the type of activism that doesn't really need to be shared on social media because it should be the standard. And I feel like it, it, it doesn't need to be um, it doesn't need to be shared in order for it to be valid because in time it will speak for itself. Yes, I agree. I think like I've you brought up such a great example with Pride Month and then like kind of the switching of logos and it all kind of disappearing. I think when I when you see stuff like that, it's hard not to question like motivation, like if they're really truly allies or being supportive of a movement or if they're just doing it for the sake of a business practice. Um, so yeah, I I think that's like a really interesting um, way to look at performance activism. And I didn't know that it kind of breached a corporate level and that it was kind of that big. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And then uh, we, we've talked about performative activism and what it kind of looks like and why it's harmful. So could you share some ways that listeners and just people in general can more like substantially and impactfully um, advocate for causes that they're passionate about? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess like in light of the previous question, um, I feel like um, a good example of how an individual or even a corporation can really take actions in the right step can be like demonstrated through the MBA strategy to, you know, truly actually make a positive difference within the social justice movement. So um, for those of you who don't know, I guess the MBA is using like its wide audience to, um, as a method to, uh, I guess, really advocate for these social justice movements and perhaps at the most simplified level. So, you know, they're really encouraging um, voter registration. So this is really important because their activism just extends beyond, uh, I guess, putting logos on their jerseys. And, you know, they're actually creating online portals that simplify the voter registration process. And, you know, when the whole election process was going on, they also used arenas and uh, as polling centers, and they gave free parking uh, to those who couldn't access uh, public transport. So um, we, I guess like the players themselves, they're pretty much non-partisan, but um, I feel like the simplicity of what they're doing really attacks the systemically oppressive um, foundation of democracy in the U.S., and a, a large uh, a large factor to that is uh, definitely the uh, um, voter suppression and also just lack uh, of access to postal code, uh, voting. And the, these things in particular, they disproportionately affect uh, BIPOC communities. And I guess um, more generally, in my opinion, I feel like the best way that people can be involved in activism impactfully is through educating themselves. I know it's said a lot, but I feel like acting, sorry, asking critical questions like, you know, is my narrative biased? Is my activism performative? And, you know, have I truly understood an issue and its implications and also just in intersectionalities before like making a statement online? And I think it's also really important that, you know, the sources of information that you get your, uh, I guess, information from is nonpartisan. And, you know, it's it's really important to truly, uh, I guess, include as many perspectives as possible um, to actually understand and a social issue and to be an ally. And I guess, yeah, also um, uh, donating to credible organizations, um, supporting BIPOC and POC businesses or creators, as well as just signing petitions and attending protests are also great ways to get involved as well. Awesome. So for anyone listening who is interested in activism, I think those are just such great ways that you can get involved. Um, and I, I think that kind of like fear of like, uh, you know, 
you know, sinking into performative activism, if that's something that you're worried about or you recognize things that we've discussed in your activism, well, these are such great ways to kind of be a little more impactful and intentional. Uh, and I, speaking of, you know, activism and advocacy, I would love to talk to you about your activist platform. Uh, it's for advocacy on Instagram. So what inspired you to start that? Yeah, so originally it was supposed to be kind of like a digital art account where it was dedicated towards advocacy, but now it's more of like infographics and just information as a whole, because as a, use, a social media user who was really made more, more aware of these ongoing social justice movements, I noticed that personally I had uh, some trouble finding these visually engaging posts that will actually encouraged me to read more information and do further research about these important issues. So based on this, I kind of took my account into a different direction. So now it is more of like a news slash media page that educates people on ongoing issues and, uh, and digestible chunks that really encourages them to take uh, further action. So um, this project, I haven't actually really announced it to my friends, mainly because I really wanted this to be an independent project that, you know, uh, presents or like represents my own, I guess, like opinions and also just uh, allow me to express my thoughts without that much judgment. Um, so I wasn't really always, you know, super educated about these social issues. I mean, I definitely there are a lot of ways that I can improve in as well, but um, there's definitely a barrier of like kind of insecurity that has been there as well. So for a while, you know, the account wasn't gaining that much attention, which was a, a little bit demotivating because, you know, I do put a lot of hard work into researching and the graphics of the project. So, but after one of uh, my posts about en ending anti-Asian racism kind of like got like a lot of likes and shares and was actually like shared by some of my like childhood like uh, YouTubers like that I really looked up to. It was really like motivating, um, especially that the fact that there was a lot of website clicks that, you know, led people to really important resources and action items to support the movement. So yeah, I was really encouraged and motivated to continue my work after, you know, it received some recognition. That's so incredible. And I, I love your account. I think for anyone who's like interested in learning more about issues um, that are like kind of current events and things that are happening right now, I think it's such a great resource because um, it is digestible. Um, but I like that you're not only providing digestible information, you're kind of encouraging people to do outside research and saying like, you know, this isn't um, everything, like you should be able to like go out and learn more. I think that's such a cool aspect of your account. Um, and congratulations on getting shares from people you admire. I'm sure that was like such a cool experience. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. And I, I would also love to talk about your magazine, Justice for Society. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it and what inspired you to start that? Yeah, definitely. Um, Justice for Society, or JFS, is a federally incorporated nonprofit youth-led organization. Um, we're really dedicated towards educating and raising awareness on social issues. Um, we aim to uh, explore their intersectionalities and effects on society, um, and while amplifying the unheard voices. So we, we do this through our monthly magazine, weekly podcast, and also periodic conference, as well as um, educational posts on our social media account. Uh, so what really inspired me to start JFS was mainly the lack of representation from within the media from BIPOC and POC. 
So a lot of today's social justice movements, you know, they're very much built on a white-centered uh, foundation, and this often or even neglects the experiences and narratives of BIPOC and POC. So as a person of color who grew up in a predominantly white area prior to moving to Toronto, I feel like uh, without the narratives of people of color, society will forever be structured off of um, a, cap a base of, of capitalism and also just the patriarchy. And this is really harmful because, you know, race is so interconnected with so many social issues and it creates a lot of barriers that make it difficult to reach true equality for every single person in society. And in addition, uh, I guess, like some factors that really motivated me to and encouraged me to continue this initiative was uh, first uh, some personal struggles that I faced within the social justice system, uh, sorry, the criminal justice system, and also some support system from my school board that I currently am in. And the second thing was um, some ongoing movements and um, and causes that were arising within 2020, such as Black Lives Matter. Yeah, um, guys, if you if you have not checked out Justice for Society, you definitely have to. Um, I and I was I was like looking through all of your latest issues. I mean, I'm usually pretty caught up, but I was kind of like reading through them again just to like refresh myself. And I'm constantly blown away and amazed not only by like the artwork, but all the articles and all the unique perspectives that you bring. And you guys are really doing so much to amplify the voices of, you know, people who usually don't get to be heard when we talk about issues like this. So I, I'm a huge fan. You guys should definitely check it out. And because you guys have been releasing so many magazine issues in particular, um, is there one in particular that you are maybe most proud of or connected with the most? Yeah, most definitely. Um, our seventh issue on the flaws of the North American education system um, entitled the education system flatline. Um, it was really eye opening for me in the sense that, you know, it was really when I truly began to recognize and also understand um, the matter of diversifying our education systems and how that, you know, plays a, such an important role within the, uh, I guess, the education sector within society as a whole. Um, the, this issue in particular really led me to um, notice the harms uh, that the education system has on students, but also, you know, other aspects of society. So, for example, you know, our education system is very much based on a colonialism and also history that is quite whitewashed. So, you know, by excluding the narratives of BIPOC and POC within our textbooks, it really reinforces false stereotypes and also... Um, um, create systemic barriers that carry over to BIPOC and POC's professional lives outside of their academic careers. And um, I guess to end off this issue in particular really um, also led me to address and reinforce the board of directors at JFS in, re uh, in regards to introducing a full and 100% panel of BIPOC and POC guest speakers for basically all of our issues and all of our podcast episodes from that point on. So, you know, our content's core is really surrounded by the testimonies of our guest speakers. So it was really important to us that, you know, these narratives are diverse and they are built on the voices of people who've had struggled to um, have a platform to amplify their experiences. That's amazing. Um, and I, I love that you're not only kind of like helping to do that outside of your organization, even within your organization, you are constantly finding ways to educate your team members and to empower your team members. I, th I think that's really incredible. And it totally shows through. Um, and, you know, Justice for Society is making an enormous impact, uh, but, you know, I feel like maybe this has also brought some personal growth. So has running Justice for Society impacted you in any way? And if so, how? 
Yeah, definitely. So I'm very much of a perfect perfectionist. So running this organization has allowed me to become more easygoing while improving my collaboration and communication skills. So I've definitely become more perseverance when it comes to facing obstacles and working towards, you know, the goal of this organization. And I guess like throughout my entire experience so far, I've truly learned so much, not only from, you know, my dedicated team, but also just from my own journey on working on events, um, articles and more, and both about social issues and myself. And I feel like while that, you know, we do have long ways to go, especially myself, when it comes to, you know, growing as a corporation and also as an individual, I feel like, you know, the experience of founding Justice for Society as a whole has been really fulfilling and rewarding in the sense that, you know, I truly learn something new every day. I love that. That's so cool. And I, I feel like because you're you're kind of like educating a lot of people on social issues and things like that, I'm sure that gives you room to kind of learn more about things you're passionate about. And I, I love what you were kind of saying. Uh, I, I just It's just super cool to see how it's impacted you and it's uh, helped you grow maybe in ways that you didn't expect. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Stacey. I, this has truly been super fun. I, I love your magazine and I love just your organization. So getting to speak with you was such a blast for me. Uh, but before we head out, I would love to ask you one last question. If the whole world was listening to you right now, what would you say? Yeah, so from all of my activism projects and I guess research and just experiences as a whole, I I feel like I really learned that as long as you're passionate about something and trust your process in it and continue to work on it within the long term, you're going to be met with recognition that is deserved. So if you're someone who's working on, you know, a passion project or is facing struggles, you know, receiving the desired attention for your work, you will eventually succeed as long as you continue working at it passionately. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to leave a rating and review and follow or subscribe on the platform you're tuning in from. To see a video version of this episode and any other episode in season three, subscribe to the Bright Eyed Podcast on YouTube. For updates and more inspiring content, follow at the Bright Eyed Pod on Instagram. Tune in next week for another inspiring interview. And until then, I'll talk to you soon.